Welcome to the Comfortable in Chaos Podcast. Podcast. Strangle your demons and let's go. Y'all need Jesus! Here we go, man. Here we go. Welcome back to the Comfortable and Chaos Podcast. I am your host, Eric Helberg. Where we left off last time, we were talking about our political leader simply getting along. And if you listen close in that episode, you heard some roosters crowing. I tell you what, man. I'm going to lay it on the line. I have one Democratic rooster, and I have one Republican rooster. And did you know those two jokers don't get along in my own chicken coop? That's why I have 20 other hens to keep them in check. Maybe that's what we need. When a couple of disagreeable, ornery individuals that are men are not getting along, maybe we need a cast of ladies to steer them in the right direction. Just funny food for thought. For today, because on the Comfortable and Chaos podcast, we have no special talents. We are only passionately curious about all things pertaining to men. How in the hell did we get here? And where is it that we are going? Here's what we're going to talk about today the exalting of one's self and or the humanization of those around you. Have you ever exalted yourself, thought more highly of yourself than you really are? Hell, I've done it plenty. If you've listened to my shows, you know that came from a deep void in my own soul, if you want to call it that, psyche, if the world wants to call it that, because I grew up with no one. And one of the most important things to me as I grew up was to create worth for myself. But as we've talked about in three or four different ways, everyone is the same. You may have a particular skill and or gift in a certain arena, but you're lacking in another. No one person is better than the other. Have you ever been in a dinner party social function, waiting in line somewhere. And let's look at the book of James here. I'll paraphrase, but you see the man in the fine clothes and the gold ring come in, and you see the disheveled man come in. And there's deference given to the man in the fine clothes and the gold ring as opposed to the one who doesn't quite look as good. Hmm. Have you ever done that? I've done it before. I consciously try to never do it. In fact, I try to go run an end around, do it exactly different. It's kind of unimaginable when you realize how good you feel when you're doing it right. And you can actually connect with that as opposed to the other. A man knows Excuse me, a man knows when he sells himself out. A man knows when he has not done his best. And moreover, a man knows when he has received benefit 
accolades, money, and he has done nothing to earn it. That's a soul killer. Even that too embeds inside of you and creates its own psychosis. We've got to earn it, man. And we earn it by treating, I mean, if you want to go golden rule, treat everyone like you would like to have yourself treated. Yeah, that's all part of it. But it's part of that humanization. We're all men. We're all alike. We all have basic needs. And one one of them is to be shown a modicum of respect and to be heard. And if you do that to a man, dude, for the most part, you're gold. How do I know that? Because I've done it in every conceivable circumstance whereby my actions directly influenced the future of men and their families' lives. When you make your career, and your career is based upon taking the livelihood away from a man, there's a lot at stake there. So oftentimes I've found my role in the as. I have found myself in the role of counselor, confidant, helper, um, and I've found it in many other ways too, barroom, brawling, dog attacks, knives, guns, multiple people. It really just is dependent upon the circumstance. And if you don't have the ability to humanize get right into that other person's skin to feel alongside them and you want to exalt yourself? Dude, it doesn't matter if you're friggin' Delta Force, man. Streets are mean and the streets will take you down. So that was an adaptive strategy that I simply learned and became more mature and that I employed. Most of the people in the trucking industry have a certain degree of independence. And you never take an independent person, an independent man, much less a stallion, and put him in a small corral. If I couldn't find my equipment readily, and I always strategically placed my efforts, that meant I had to communicate with people that were associated with my debtors and or lessees. I had to have the ability to bring that equipment back to me through information and or with these people directly. That requires very precise communication. I'll take it another step further. I used to work for, it morphed into other clients. But predominantly, it was for a client called now Daimler Truck Financial. Daimler Truck Financial owns Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes-Benz owns Freightliner and those travel centers of America, truck stops. Unless you're in the game, no one knows all that. But the way I cut my teeth and really got going in this industry was Daimler Truck Financial was having a terrible time getting their equipment repossessed, per se, in the great state of Louisiana. At that time, Louisiana was still under old Napoleonic law. So a person could be behind on their notes, lease, 
to an equipment lender, but in order to go and pick it back up, it required that individual's consent via the state of Louisiana um, voluntary surrender and personal property receipt, whereby the debtor or lessee would actually confer upon you they would sign, waive all their rights to said piece of collateral or equipment, and then actually agree to be sued for the deficiency or what they still owed after the lender received their equipment back and sold it. If those people still owed money, they were still responsible. And in order to retrieve that equipment, you had to get their written consent. So I went to work on that, and I actually had... Um, my state of Louisiana voluntary release and personal property receipt drawn up with a lawyer out of Louisiana who I had come in contact with repeatedly who was representing people in financial trouble and bankruptcies. But we made friends. We were talking so much. We were, on, we were advers- adversaries, but we had some commonality. And so he agreed to draw one up, sent it back to my client, they were cool with it, and I started running amok. And for the first time in a couple of years, um, I would go and meet with these people and get these releases conferred. I did a ton of work down in New Orleans, and man, New Orleans is a tough, gritty place, but it's very compact. People don't just keep 18-wheelers in front of their house. They have to be kept on the periphery of the city of New Orleans in drop yards, oftentimes in truck stops. And so these truck stops in uh, New Orleans actually became my office. Um, Pre-Katrina, pre-2005, I mean, I had a designated booth at the Big Easy truck stop down there at the port. Spent a lot of time at the Mardi Gras right there on the loop. And um, my goodness, I mean and Gentilly, and man, Chef Mentor, and Almanaster down in there. I'd meet a lot of people. I think it was called the King's Palace in Chalmette. We'd meet. I'd get the releases signed, and we'd be off to the races. All that equipment had to be delivered to select trucks of Jackson, so we'd get our get our equipment and drive it on up there and deliver it and come on back and continue until... uh till those accounts we were given at that time were done. So, did all that, and I'd finished up early. We were coming back south down Interstate 55 from Jackson. I wanted to get to where I was going uh, really before about 10 o'clock at night. So, we're cruising, and I'm working for a client on this particular case called MHC Financial Services, MHC Kenworth, biggest group of uh, Kenworth dealers in the country. And so I take my normal cut through as I'm cruising down Interstate 55 South because I want to break out on Interstate 12 as I make my way back home. And there's a little cut through if I was transporting equipment that really wasn't that roadworthy, you could even call it unsafe to drive, I would cut through on this one particular road to avoid the scale so I wouldn't get uh, pulled over or, or shut down. And 
I needed to go to this one little town on this cut-through road. I'm going to leave that unnamed because this fella's still incarcerated. And, um, yeah, he's a bad man. But I had been doing my background. I hadn't been able to reach out to this guy since I knew he was from this state. I knew that a release had to be conferred. But I couldn't get in contact with him. Uh, people that I'd found affiliated with him wouldn't talk to him on my behalf. I had no working numbers for this guy. And I had not had a chance, <clears throat> excuse me, to go out and try to find these different addresses of record, um, along with the additional addresses I had pulled in my databases. So I said, you know what, let's take a chance. And this was a weekend. And so, you know, a lot of people uh, later in the evening on a weekend, you're going to find them at home. Well, lo and behold, I parked, and this was, it was an open gate, but you had to walk way into the property. I mean, it is pitch black out there, uh, stars up in the sky, really, really muggy, um, Louisiana summer evening, and I walked down this, uh, this dirt lane. Well, I had my brother-in-law. He was parked in the car. I said, I got it, and uh, I'm going to walk down. Lo and behold, this dude came out, and we get to talking. And something about him, my normal methodology is I typically close the gap on an individual. It's very unnerving for people that are not experienced with it. That gives me the upper hand. I feel more in control. Moreover, I know my own individual skill sets, whether you want to call it judo, jujitsu, some martial arts that I taught. Um, distance is not your friend when it comes to certain weapon platforms. Um, certainly when you get into knife platforms, Closeness isn't your friend either. But I would typically gauge this individual and I would close the gap. One, because I'm trying to build some familiarity and to let them know I'm not afraid. But this guy's eyes, and I could see them. I could see them under the moonlight. They were different. And so I stopped a few feet in front and I could tell he didn't want me to come closer either. Obviously, he wanted to know who the I was, what the I was doing there, and he was pretty agitated. I'm like, well, here we go again. Been here hundreds and hundreds of times. Tell him who I'm representing. Uh, came to get this retrieved. And I got silent. Why do I get silent? It's their story to tell. I'm going to learn from that story. What he says or what he tries not to tell me is going to give me my next piece of the puzzle. Well, it ended succinctly. Um, he basically told me that if I didn't hurry up and get out of there, he would kill me. And I certainly believed him. Was this the first time I had heard this? No. I never kept count of how many times I was told that and or how many times it was alluded to in a variety of different fashions and ways. It was just uh, part of
part of the job. It came with the territory. But I did believe him. And I told you about the muggy night, stars, the darkness out there. Well, let me tell you, my senses were highly acute at that moment. If you want to say I was turned on, it wasn't in some crazed-ass men's way of thinking. I'd come alive. And if I had chose to stay, one of us would not have been. Did I feel capable? Sure. Why would I go through that needlessly over a truck? I was faced with that situation hundreds of times. So, I didn't want to take my eyes off him. I also didn't want to leave as a coward. So, I breadcrumbed him, backed up, uh, backed up on the balls of my feet for a while, threw a couple of questions out to see if he would engage because my equipment wasn't there. At this point, I still had no idea where it was. Until I felt like I was at a fairly safe distance, and then I went ahead, swiveled, gave him my back, and walked completely out of the property. From there, uh, we shot back up that road to a truck stop I often frequented. By then, I knew a lot of the state troopers in that area, and... Um, I stopped to get a cup of coffee, met a buddy of mine, and he was getting a cup of coffee. So we shot the, well, we shot the shit for a little bit, and then I said, hey, yeah, hey, I'm in because I was doing this and that. And when I gave him some particulars and a name, he froze. And I'm like, huh, all right. And then he didn't want to tell me anything, so I let it be. I knew there was more to the story that I was just seemingly involved with. Lo and behold, let's get chronological here. The very next day, about the mid part of that day, I get a phone call. Now, I don't know if it was the individual that I just met up with, the night before, um, a family member, a friend, but I get a call with from a gentleman identifying himself as the man who I was actually looking for. Whether or not that was him, that I can't substantiate. It sounded like him. Were we in fact face to face that night? Could have been. I can't tell you with absolute certainty. But what he told me then was kind of remarkable. He reiterated if in fact that was him, if not it was his first um, um, exhortation that I should never return to that place. And if I do, I will end up like the girl that he left at a levee. I'm paraphrasing now. That was a long time ago. Okay. Well, um, I told him, well, I certainly hear him, and I certainly understand what he's telling me, 
but where in the hell is my Kenworth W900? He hung up the phone. The day after that, the gentleman I had had coffee with called me up, asking me about the particular individual I was looking for. And I'm like, I don't know, but now I've received a phone call. And what I can tell you, if in fact, and it seems, he was being pursued, I can tell you this, he will no longer be where I was. But in doing my background, I believe you can cross over state lines, and I think there's a good chance that you will find your mark in Picayune, Mississippi, at said location. Fast forward six days later, the U.S. Marshal Service retrieved this individual, and um, he has been since that time um, at the same spot. And from what I understand, the young lady that he alluded to was not the only one. So those are just some of the interesting travails that you can encounter in this line of work. And (laughs) um, I'm glad I got out of there. There's a lot more than that, actually a lot more whereby I felt uh, somewhat more threatened. But in this instance, we know for damn sure this guy was all business, man. Not good business, but all business. So we're going to leave it on that note, and we're going to venture into some more entertaining stories on some of the upcoming next episodes of the Comfortable and Chaos podcast. Until next time, I bid you bon voyage, my burgeoning flock. Until next time, like and subscribe to the Comfortable in Chaos podcast.